Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor. In today's episode, we're asking, how can fintech help solve the refugee crisis? According to the most recent figures, as of 2021 from the United Nations, there are more than 89 million people worldwide who have been forcibly displaced from their homes in countries like Syria, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Somalia and Eritrea. The nature of this displacement has been brought to the top of many people's minds in 2022, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine leading to 8.8 million refugees leaving that country since February, on the back of the massive displacement of people from Afghanistan in October 2021. This displacement is an enormous physical, psychological and logistical challenge, encompassing everything from food, shelter, security, education and medication. But finances are a crucial part of that challenge too. So we've put together a panel of experts to ask, how can fintech help refugees in the immediate aftermath? And what challenges stop financial institutions from getting more involved to help people? And how can financial services adapt as the needs of refugees change over time? We'll discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go away. Your favourite fintech insiders are back in London for After Dark Homecoming. Join us at Village Underground on Wednesday, 21st of September, where we'll be taking things back to the beginning and recording our new show live. You can secure your spot now at 11fs.com forward slash After Dark. That is 11fs.com forward slash After Dark. We look forward to seeing you there. Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of fantastic guests who can shed some light on this topic. First off, I'm joined by my colleague, Sarah Habib, customer strategist at 11FS. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. You were last on to talk about FinTech for Good in episode 613, and you're currently writing a series of articles for 11FS on FinTech for Good. Can you tell us a sentence about that, please? I'd love to, Benjamin. So yeah, um, I moved into FinTech because I can believe it has the power to have the most impact on society. So I'm writing a trilogy of articles on how fintech can do that. The first one is consumer behavior, then fintechs that are helping direct climate change, and then fintechs that are helping out, smoothing out the stresses. Uh, so all the fintechs that we're talking about today will be in that section, fintechs that are helping smooth out the stresses caused by society. I'm looking forward to reading them. Next, we have a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Ali Nicknam, CEO of Bunk. Welcome back, Ali. Can you give our listeners a reintroduction, please? First of all, thanks for having me. It's always lovely to be on the show. I look forward to the discussion because they're always very insightful also for me. So thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm the founder and CEO of Bank, um, Europe's second largest uh, neobank. Um, and I think we are very well known for our innovation across multiple areas, not in the least one of the subjects that we are going to discuss today on how we can make an impact for the better. Welcome back. Thank you. It's a FinTech Insider debut for Nat Robinson, CEO of Leaf Global FinTech. Welcome to the show, Nat. What should our audience know about you and Leaf Global FinTech? Well, hello, and thank you so much for, for having in, including me. Um, so I am the co-founder and CEO of Leaf Global FinTech that was uh, built and designed to help refugees and migrants around the world safely store and transport their cash uh, while crossing borders. And we've developed a, a blockchain-based digital wallet that works on both smartphones and non-smartphones to help um, customers to, to do that. And uh, we're operating in East Africa and Kenya, Uganda, and Rwanda at the moment, but looking to expand uh, quickly. 
Impressive stuff. Welcome to the show. Finally, we have Matthew Gardner, co-founder of TechFugees. Welcome, Matt. What can you tell us about TechFugees? Sure. Well, again, glad to be here. Thanks for being a fan of uh, 11first for some time. I'm also a consultant really in uh, crypto, Web3, fintech, so very familiar with this space. And TechFugees, I'm a founding member of. We began in 2015, really a global community of uh, individuals working towards uh, really bringing um, digital inclusion and uh, representation to displaced people and migrants. And we were originally in about 50 countries, now we're scaled down to eight. So we're in at the moment Lebanon, Nigeria, Uganda, and Kenya, Canada, UK, France, and Germany. Um, but we really work by bringing a lot of magnetism towards communities, bringing tech, fintech, uh, refugees, and displaced people together. Well, thank you all so much for joining us on on today's shows. These are such tricky issues. So I'm delighted to have all, all of you here um, to help our listeners sort of understand understand some of the challenges. So let's let's dive in. Um, why don't we start by just thinking about the immediate aftermath for people who've been displaced? And, and Sarah, I'd love to come t- to you on this. What are some of the immediate problems that people face, particularly from a financial perspective, when they're forced to leave their country? Well, I mean, the first thing is the debt they have to pay. So, you know, when they flee in a country, their home country, you know, Ryanair isn't flying out flights at £12. There's a huge amount of debt and burden that comes with that having to leave a country. Uh, Either people use up all their savings or they have to go in debt to be able to get out. And then once they arrive in the country, it's survival. So accommodation, food, medicine, all these things that are very basic necessities of life they need to get by if they've used up all their money and savings. So, you know, a lot of countries, there, a lot of uh, organizations are able to provide support, either in cash-based incentives or vouchers or in-kind support. Uh, cash-based incentives are the ones that really give the most autonomy to individuals. You know, a lot of pe- people having to flee their countries, they've lost all autonomy, their identities. Being able to move into a country, uh, go to another country and have some choice over what they can do with money really gives them that freedom again to be their own people. You know, also... It really gives a lot of power to women, especially, you know, you know, if you're given vouchers to be able to go to a particular shop, it might not necessarily cover you know, uh, female menstruation products. You know, they've really given a lot more freedom and choice to put that many money where it needs to go. There were some discrepancies and un- uh, unease about whether that money would be used in a most beneficial way, if it'd be used in antisocial areas, but a lot of research was done and they found that it wasn't. People were funneling the money where it was needed, you know. Um, but, I, you know, cash-based incentives altogether, they work well in areas where inflation is low. So currently looking at the situation worldwide, that was not going to be the case for a lot of host countries. I'm thinking of Pakistan, Lebanon, uh, Colombia, host a lot of refugees. Their inflation rates have been super high. I mean, I saw an article this morning in the FT saying the UK inflation rate is going to be 20%. You know, the inflation rate in Lebanon was like 160. I can't even remember the staggering uh number it was for Sri Lanka. So how well are those cash-based incentives going to help? You know, how are people who go into these countries, who are fleeing into these countries, then there's going to be a fine line between the cash-based incentives and the in-kind incentives that they're going to really need to struggle to make sure they get the best that really helps them in that peak area once they go into a country. Ali, uh, Nat and Matthew, all three of your organisations have, have looked to help refugees. I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your journeys, either your own journeys or your, or your organization's journeys. Of what sort of prompted you um, to, to take action, to feel that you had to do something, and how did you sort of get to where you got to? Maybe we, we could start with, with, with you, Ali. What, what sort of 
prompted you to say, this is a really important thing. We need to do this. Yeah. So um, because of my background, I've, I've experienced the war myself in my early youth. So I kind of uh, know that it's quite horrible. I know it always starts with many people thinking that they're right and the other side is wrong, but it, you know, it never, it's never a clean thing and it never ends up with anyone being right other than a lot of victims. So uh, when this whole thing in Ukraine started, uh, I posted a LinkedIn message talking a little bit about my experiences and also saying, you know, I can't solve the problem, but at least I can make a difference uh, by helping a few refugees. I had a friend who had a hotel in an adjacent country and we uh, managed to secure, I think, I don't know the exact number, but quite a number of apartments so that people could use them if they so wish to. And literally overnight, that post went viral. And um, I woke up Friday morning, I think, seeing uh, thousands of responses and people uh, wanting to help in and wanting to do what they could. And so literally over the weekend, we started a foundation uh, with two other entrepreneurs, uh, yours, Beckers, from Picnic and Robert Fish from MessageBird, and we created People for People. Now, today that's about six months ago, and in those six months we have helped thousands and thousands of people uh, affected by uh, the Ukrainian war uh, on both sides of the of the fence, by the way, because we believe a victim holds no nationality. And, uh, yeah, we have helped many with uh, basic needs, such as communication in the early days of the war. Uh, people were displaced. They didn't have a way to communicate with their home front. So we handed out SIM cards by the thousands. Um, up until recently, where we uh, have helped people who have moved out of the country to countries such as the Netherlands, with them uh, getting basic needs, like getting a job so they can provide for themselves, educating their children uh, in cases where we could. Um, so that's been the people for people endeavor. Uh, and in parallel, uh, I'm also CEO of Bank, Bank of the Free. And uh, thanks to information we got from uh, people for people, we noticed that many people couldn't, uh, many displaced refugees couldn't partake in everyday life because they simply didn't have access to a bank account. Um, and, didn't, and they didn't have access to a bank account because, frankly, uh, quite strict KYC AML rules that lead to a lot of systems to be implemented and a lot of additional checks to be implemented. And quite frankly, I think most commercial businesses who would do a cost-benefit analysis came to the conclusion that it probably didn't pay off. But obviously, we were very sensitive to the human suffering and uh, we jumped in and I think within 48 hours after getting that initial message that this was indeed a problem, we launched an updated version uh, of our core systems and also uh, of our banking app so that people could sign, sign up, so that people could have access to the uh, economic system uh, and that they could do so within all of the rules and regulations that took place. Um, and I, that's one of the things I'm very proud of this year. We, we have helped uh, thousands and thousands uh, of people getting access to that system. And equally important, uh, I think because we made that move, um, incumbents kind of felt um, the need to move to. So about two to three months later, uh, some of the incumbents started offering 
uh, accounts to refugees as well. And so I think we inspire them to, to do what's right and not just think about the bottom line. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing amazing achievement. You're 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 rightly rightly proud of that. Um, Nat, Nat, I'd love to bring you into the conversation. Um, what tell us a tiny bit about your journey? What what prompted you to set up Leaf Global FinTech and and start trying to help refugees? What was your journey? Yeah, sure. So um, Leaf, uh, we really started Leaf um, by noticing uh, the the challenges that uh, refugees were facing. This is during the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, I was in uh, graduate school and law school in the U.S., and there was a, a business plan competition um, that was all focused around the refugee crisis. And my background uh, was in microfinance. I worked in Kenya for seven years providing um, loans to rural smallholder farmers and using technology to, to do that and to create a business model out of it. And I just just got reading about the the challenge facing um, you know Syrians and and many people around the world. I thought there's got to be something that I can bring from this background and experience to this challenge. And um, I got teamed up uh, with my now co-founder Tori Samples, who um, has a technical background and had personally worked with uh, refugees in the U.S. Uh, for about 15 years. And uh, together, we're able to come up with a solution to help uh, refugees along that journey. We were really shocked at how much um, money people were spending to to get through to transit countries, to transit uh, buys of water, to get to end destinations and carrying cash the whole way. And that they someone may have a bank account uh, in their home country, but uh, as soon as they leave, they, they can't access that anymore and have to carry uh, carry cash, which is very dangerous inconvenience, I get robbed, and that's your livelihood if uh, if you lose that. And then once uh, someone gets to that final destination, it's very difficult to receive funds from family or send money um, back home. And so we wanted to design a, a wallet that was um, easy to re- uh, register, easy to access, could work on a mobile phone, uh, and could cross borders to help someone to access those funds along the way, but also to receive funds um, when they're uh, at, at their end uh, destination. And that was really, I think, the impetus of starting starting Leaf is designing for this use case for um, refugees who are in transit um, and didn't have a lot of a uh, lot of solutions. And as, as Ali said before, the KYC AML requirements really keep a lot of people out of the uh, formal financial um, system. And we've sort of found a way through that and with that by uh, setting up these KYC light accounts or payment accounts that are equivalent to mobile money accounts and working with the telcos and payment providers instead of uh, banks. Um, and that's been at least one step to get uh, someone a little bit closer to uh, being banked. Fantastic. Matthew, I'd love to love to bring you in uh, into the conversation as well. Uh, Sarah and, and Nat have both made the point about how some of the countries that, that displaced people are moving into are themselves, you know, going, going through some some turmoil. They're, they're somewhat unstable. How how important is it to work with sort of non governmental organisations, NGOs, and, and people on the ground and and things like that? How how important is it, is it to be sort of connected with people in the receiving countries to, if you're going to help refugees? I'd say extremely important. It's a point that can be overlooked in that kind of uh, tech mentality or fintech mentality we had around the Facebook era of wanting to move forwards and rewrite the book. Um, but really, no, NGOs have a lot of experience. Local NGOs, too, have an extreme amount of experience, as I'm sure you know, Nat and Ali. Uh, so very important to work with them closely. And, you know, just to give us uh, a, a kind of quick, summary of what we've done at TechFG. So we began in 2015 in response really to the Syrian refugee crisis in Europe. Um, we had a conference with 40 people in one day. We just saw there was a big need um, to do something and a lot of people wanted to help. So we had 40 people on the line in one day, for example, we were pushing at an open door, 
We began to operate around the world and we had a lot of success. So uh, things like Wi-Fi in the Greek islands, uh, working with Mercy Corps and several other organizations to bring Wi-Fi to refugees, very important. Uh, we had, again, shipping containers supplied by Cisco with simultaneous interpretation in Germany so that people weren't seeing doctors in the street in Germany. A lot of, um, a lot of big innovations happened very quickly. A lot of big tech companies came in to help us and NGOs. Uh, but I did notice, and we did notice, that money really was a problem. There were some initiatives uh, around 2015, 2017, uh, around really uh, car payments or, or prepaid cards, giving people agency. But they did fall over quite heavily and really impressive, not only to see what you've done, you know, really around the Ukraine crisis, I say, or, or more recently, to move forward with KYC Light and really make something that is compliant and does make sense. Um, but make it work. So I think that's really a big push forward. You know, as we head now to around 100 million displaced people, more people going to be displaced through climate. Um, we've got half of the world, which is still offline, 3.7 billion people offline. And to your point, sir, as well, I think 1 billion, one Worldwide Web Foundation have just pointed out the trillion dollars has been lost through lack of agency for women, lack of education for women, women not being taxpayers, for example. There's a big move towards um, equality that has to be achieved. But I really think the work you've done with um, KYC AML is really important in moving that forwards. What are some of the other other challenges? So, you, so Matthew, you just touched on you know some really important challenges there, and 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 Nat and Ellie, you brought up a, a, a couple of others as well. Um, so, I mean, there's a whole series of challenges, aren't there? There's there's currency, there's moving currency across borders, there's all the um, sort of getting any kind of recognition or legal basis in the country you arrive in. Uh, there's a huge number of sort of financial hurdles. What are what are some of the sort of biggest and and most a, a, acute ones? Um, I'm not quite sure how I'm directing that question to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone will have an answer. I mean, it's it's literally everything, right? It's from how do I do groceries in this new country into to how do I communicate with a, a different language? And as someone who has been spending more and more time in New York, and, you know, I'm obviously not a refugee, and I'm doing so willfully and in full control and without any pressure or without any aggravating circumstance and it's already difficult for me because everything's just different and we see the same for uh ukrainian refugees coming in the netherlands but then much worse because they didn't choose to be there they have to be there so uh we noticed that the school system is completely not ready for uh dealing with the inflow of different speaking uh, people we notice that even simple things like going to a GP for a doctor's visit is difficult because, I mean, people don't speak the language, people don't find access to the to the healthcare system. Um, housing is an issue. Um, well, banks were an issue. We solved that. That's no longer an issue. But you know, it's 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 really a very very complicated problem. Um, so you can pick whatever piece of the pie you want, and if everybody takes a piece each, hopefully we can solve it together, I guess. I agree with you, Ali, and, and definitely, you know, to your point, it depends where you are on the journey, too. If you're crossing, if you just arrive on the Greek island, for example, you have really problems around maybe healthcare, or um, we work with Alpida, a big charity uh, on the Greek islands who uh, offer psychological help and psychiatric help, who help in triage. There's that to do with as well. There's the on onward journey. 
Um, so that, that's when you're traveling, when you've arrived or a whole different set of problems, you receive assistance perhaps for a certain amount of time, but then not going forwards. Um, there are a myriad of problems. Again, if you just think about going on holiday and how stressful that can be and how things can go wrong, imagine your whole life being transported uh, at a moment's notice with nothing really to, uh, to go on, no resources to work with. Um, there's a million things going on. You know, as Jane Goodall said, really about the uh, movement, uh, you know, around the World Wildlife Fund and, uh, and really around um, helping animals, there is a lot of people out there who are doing a lot of things. So there's definitely a lot of will to, to change. There are a lot of mirror problems, but there are, I think, more and more organisations by the day working towards solving these problems. Uh, the challenge really is lining everything up, I would say. Sarah, Bunk is one of a relatively small number of examples of, of, of banks that have really got involved. Why have traditional banks been sort of so slow or so ill-equipped to, to help or to try to help? Um, I mean, one of the things that we were talking about previously is the KYC laws, right? They've got certain laws and regulations that prevent them from supporting people and making sure they get documentation through. But there was actually, um, in the... In the 2000s, uh, the EU passed regulation that required banks provide basic services to customers legally required um, residing in the EU, which includes asylum seekers and refugees. But one of the key problems has been that the regulation hasn't been evenly applied. So, you know, if you could go to um, a bank in Ireland or a bank in Greece, the policies that they have are completely different required to setting up a bank. You know, if you're going to a brand new country, and you don't know what the policies are, it's, it's very confusing. Refugees and asylum seekers are going back and forth to understand the requirements necessary. And I think it's also, and if we're talking about the EU, it's really important right now that we're able to provide digital banking systems um, where the banks are unable to provide anything because of the cashless system that's been uh, increased due to COVID. So, you know, you can't really buy many things via cash as much as you were able to before. So it's more and more important that they're able to provide these banking systems such as bankers doing. And I think also an element of it, you know, the legislation is there to provide the services, but, you know, at what level is there internal inertia to do something that's, you know, politically in a bit of a grey ground? I think what you've done with um, Ali, what you've done will have a ripple effect to help banks and incumbents as it already has to help provide these uh, systems that they should have been providing before. Um, but also, you know, on the flip of that, what you were saying of, you know, if you go to a new country, there's a flip side for the for the refugee as well. There's a, the communication system. They're operating in a language that's unaware of, having to get the documents together, documents are lost. There's, there's a number of things there, but the banks can do a lot more. They can provide services um, and they're able to as well. Yeah, I fully agree with you there, Sarah. And I think, uh, to your point, harmonizing EU laws and rules would be such a help. Um, it would reduce costs for everyone. It would simplify things for everyone, For not just for banks, because, I mean, we're not here to serve banks. We're here to serve the people. So it, it will be better for people. It will be cheaper. It will be easier. And communication, again, is one of the most fundamental things. So one of the things we did, I think, three weeks after we launched, is we translated the entire app in Ukrainian and Russian. I mean, all these points you don't really think about up front, but they all really add up and they're all really very important. So, yeah. And another thing actually just, just pop in there, Ben, is, you know, there's, 
There's different cultures of savings and banking, and that needs to be translated as well. You know, how you save, how you put money aside in different countries doesn't translate. So that needs to be put forward as well. Definitely. Nat, I'd love to hear your view on um, on, the, on the role of sort of established banks, because in, in building your, your wallet, have you been trying to sort of connect the established banking systems in different countries, or are you really trying to sort of, to some extent, bypass them and create a sort of better better system? Now we've we've really been trying to, as much as possible to work with uh, all the licensed financial institutions. We believe you know the infrastructure's uh, there. Let's let's not try to re reinvent the wheel too much. Let's work with what's what's there, what's working. And um, Ali, maybe we should uh, talk afterwards and offline because we've had a very difficult time working with banks, uh, certainly in, in in East Africa and in countries like Rwanda and Uganda, where the policies are actually very supportive of, of refugees in terms of getting um, and using um, national identities to get uh, accounts or even using UNHCR IDs to get um, bank accounts. Um, even when that's there and the KYC policies are, are in place to support that, a lot of the banks still provide um, accounts or loans to refugees because there's a lot of biases there. And I think that's what is potentially great with, with a fintech solution is you know, you're not, you don't have a person in there making that decision uh, that it's really done uh, through the app. It's automated. So um, I, I think we're uh, seeing a lot more of that uh, come down the market, but it's been really, um, really interesting to see, uh, uh, see all the innovation that's in play. But we certainly would love to work more with, uh, with banks and financial institutions. Coming back to that question about the sort of security and the, the KYC requirements and so on, is there, is, there an easy, is there a way to sort of balance those, those security requirements um, against the need to, to act urgently? I mean, Ali, one of the things I was most impressed by was how quickly uh, you, you managed to respond as an organization. But there's always a risk that bad actors come in and you know, that people who you're not thinking about come and try and exploit it in some way. You're trying to do good for a bunch of people in desperate situations and then you know, some evil people come in and sort of take advantage. H- how do you get that balance right? Is that? That's a, that's a great question. So first of all, Nat, thank you uh, for what you just said. You can drop me a note after this conversation. I'd be <laughs> happy to see if I can help out in any way we can. Uh, then as for uh, uh, the question at hand, I mean, it's always a balancing act. And I think to Sarah's point earlier, there are basically multiple rules and regulations and laws competing with each other. Because on the one hand, as a bank, you're supposed to not give access to bad actors. On the other hand, you're supposed to give access to everyone. Um, And that balancing act is very delicate. And I think one of the things that should happen really is for regulators and for lawmakers to appreciate that and acknowledge that and come up with some set of rules that are actually more clear than they are today, because today it's all one big gray zone. And depending on... uh, what is important to you as an organization, you, you pick the shade of gray that, that suits you best. That being said, bad actors are there. We unfortunately see the same thing happening with Ukrainian uh, refugees, where sometimes refugees are used as money mules to try to launder money and all kinds of other things. In tandem with launching the ability to onboard uh, Ukrainian and Russian refugees. We also deployed a set of stricter transaction monitoring rules with a heightened awareness for this new uh, demography. So it's we went further than just accepting this new set of people. We also actually tried to do it in a safe way. 
So one of the limitations that we introduced was for people to not have more than 20K in deposits, for example, and a number of other things that uh, for security reasons I'd rather not disclose, like behind the scenes <laughs> to keep track of stuff. Um, so your point is very valid. It's not just giving people access. It's also making sure that your responsibility of keeping the system as safe and as clean as possible also is taken seriously. Okay, we're just going to take a quick pause here, back very shortly. Here at 11FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS. That's why we created our 11FS Explore series, weekly videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around, such as... On ramping. Buy now, pay later. The cost of living. ESG. Stablecoins. Telematics insurance. And inclusive design. Search 11FS Explores on YouTube now. Okay, let's let's look at how fintech can try and help refugees as their situation evolves once they've arrived in uh, in the receiving uh, country. So, maybe Matthew, you know, once a refugee has sort of been given asylum or hopefully been given asylum, what are some of the the next steps that maybe need to to happen for them from a sort of financial standpoint? What what needs to happen after someone's arrived? I mean, Sarah was talking earlier about you know sort of cash disbursements and so on. Um, what are some of the things that that refugees need when they once they arrive. Great, well, uh, great question. Thank you. And I guess to, to bring it back to to money very quickly, um, I don't know if you know about the initiative in Colombia for ten years now. Uh, Venezuelans have been regularised, so obviously a, a very big refugee crisis uh, in in Colombia coming from Venezuela, where a third of people are now living in um, extreme poverty. So. Yeah, we see that kind of very practically. Um, I know with refugees, we've spoken with the um, Colombian government, and they have real issues around dispersing cash and benefits, uh, and actually enabling people to be banked. I mean, there are a million things you need to do when you arrive, but being banked and having agency is, is really a big key, um, a big step to, towards being able to do these million things. So at the moment, um, quite a lot of people who've arrived in Colombia from Venezuela are having to collect their cash from um, you know, news agents, corner shops. And sometimes, obviously, they are mugged, um, they are targeted. So looking really towards a solution, particularly in a high inflation environment, that's another layer to, uh, for them to collect their, their money securely so they can begin to have agency and begin to um, move their life forward. It's just tough just listening to, to, to some of the challenges that these, these, these poor people face. Ali, uh, you know, it's, we're six months on from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, unbelievably. Uh, have you seen the needs of, of the, the, the people at Bunk has been helping changing over, over that time? Yeah, definitely. So I think one of our strengths, uh, both with Bunk as well as People for People, is that we are entrepreneurial and we move fast. Um, and we've seen that uh, the regular help has now caught traction like the big institutionalized NGOs and countries and whatnot are now uh, doing what they can at a scale that is obviously bigger than we could by ourselves. And so we are always looking into what we can, what we can do. I think Bunk's role is kind of played out for now because we did the one thing we could do. We gave people access, but the uh, people for people, uh, role might change as the needs have changed because many people have been displaced and we are seeing issues, for example, in the Netherlands, 
it's a real disgrace that people are sleeping in the streets uh, because government is uh, unable to provide shelter for them. And I don't know how, uh, I believe, the 10th richest uh, country in the world is so incompetent that we can't house 400 people in a country that houses 17 million people. Anyway, so there's a number of issues that are caused by the ripple effect of the Ukrainian invasion, and we're looking into where we could make a difference by stepping in, inspiring others, or stepping in and coming up with a solution that nobody else has thought about, all the while continuing to do what we can with Bank, because we're still very much in contact with municipalities and uh, other government institutions that want to be able to pay refugees some money so that they can buy their groceries and, you know, obviously can't do so with the incumbents. Amazing work. Nat, how, how important is, is blockchain for helping establish a life in a new country? Is this proving to be a really strong use case for, for blockchain? Yeah, and I, I know uh, blockchain was supposed to solve all of our world's uh, problems. And <laughs> we've seen that quite happen yet. But uh, I, I think the, the use case uh, that we have and some of the other institutions around the world, um, it does do a lot of things really well. And in particular, um, we've been using a blockchain uh, called Stellar uh, that's very low cost, uh, very fast, has a cr- very low um, energy usage compared to um, Bitcoin uh, blockchain. And it was really designed for these cross-border transactions, very small cross-border transactions. And what we also like about it is it adds a little, you know, very heavy level of security, but also transparency. All the transactions are, you know, essentially public. So if you're a bad actor, if you're trying to money launder money, this is not a good place um, for you. Um, but what also it does is that that our customers can bring that that transaction history, that transaction data, with them to another country, and if they want to use that as a as a credit score, um, you know, in theory they could, and I think that's that's valuable. That's that's helpful data to um, to bring. But ultimately, we're just trying to protect uh, wealth. We talked a lot about um, you know, inflation and losing losing that value uh, if you have your home currency. And we are developing a, a solution that would allow someone to convert that um, local currency into a U.S. dollar or euro denominated um, uh, coin or currency that then protects that value that they can then redeem um, down the road and then send funds back uh, back to the family members uh, too. So I think we're, we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, I think beneficial use of, of this uh, technology in terms of keeping the cost low, increasing uh, transparency, but it's not going to solve, um, fortunately, all of, our, all of our problems. There's also still a lot of skepticism around it, but I hope in that world we'll be able to demonstrate some of the positive use cases for the technology. Exactly. Um, Sarah, Nat just talked about um, credit scoring. So I'd love to come to you and just sort of think about so as as refugees start trying to build lives in in a in a new country, um, how do they go about building a, a credit score? It's tough, right? I'm trying to build a credit score into a country where you've got not not much financial footing. It's, it's tough to get onto that. Um, you know, there's quite a few initiatives that have started to go through. Quite a lot of fintechs that are starting to come through, helping immigrants build their credit score. So you've got Chamber Credit, Nova Credit as well, and another one called Pillar, uh, and they're fintechs helping people access credit products once they move country. But um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that area and it's, it's quite a burden. You know, with financial with financial credit, you can get a mobile phone. With financial credit, you can get a good flat depending on where you live. So it's a real burden on, pers- on a refugees' uh, growth and integration within that host country if they can't get access to credit. So being able to access that 
with what Nat's doing and with what other fintechs are doing is really going to help them flourish and integrate in them make sure that their children's lives and the rest of their lives are as beneficial as possible. Um, and Matthew, this might be an unfair question for you, but what about people who, who eventually manage to return home? Because um, then again, they're then trying to again transfer their sort of their life from, from the host country back to their, their home countries, you know, sometime down the line. Have, have you any experience of how financial services can help people there? Or is that not something that Techfugees has really addressed to date? Well, yeah, within the context of uh, new systems that are operating, you know, just on a general point really about AML, KYC, and also uh, blockchain, crypto, we're looking at new models here anywhere in the world. And as we've seen, Ali and Nat, you've managed to, Ali particularly, you've managed to get a new model around KYC that works. You know, regulators are already grappling with that. It just reminds me of uh, Prime Minister Motley of Barbados talking about the way that international finance is structured, and international debt is structured, as we look at the climate crisis. So, we, you know, with climate, really, and with the increasing number of displaced people that come from that and global conflicts, we are looking at constructing new models. Um, you know, I'm going to mention it before, but part of what we do is also ensure that people can create sustainable livelihoods. So we're concerned about that, whether, you know, the average life, average duration of being a refugee is around 15 years. You could be in Zatali for 15 years, for example, or longer. So we're really looking at how people create their own sustainable um, industries, in a way, or, or, or ways of living. So within that context, we do see people returning who are able to kind of cling on or, or use the systems that they develop whilst they've been away to transfer some knowledge and wealth back or, or perhaps credit history or, or something tangible and bring it back with them. Um, and just very quickly, I'll say blockchain is part of that. Um, the only problem I think that's nascent too is uh, around data-informed consent and uh, the use of data on blockchain. Um, we've seen recently in Afghanistan, for example, um, some blockchain projects have been used, but they've created a lot of difficulties for people who've remained because all of their details were indebtedly on there. And they're now in the hands of the Taliban, for example. So, yes, more than we can address, and I can address in a three-minute uh, speech, um, but definitely new models forming. And as we've seen, there are new ways forward. I think it's a matter of maybe more resources, more hands on deck, more strategic thinking around this. It's always possible, um, but you just need to have the appropriate level of, of knowledge and resources brought in to achieve it. Thank you. Okay, we've got time for one last quick fire question with a one sentence answer. Um, so, can fintech help to solve or, or mitigate the, the, the refugee crisis? What can what can fintech do? Um, so, one sentence, quick fire answers. Ali? Uh, fintech can definitely be a part of the solution. And I think one of the things we can do is move fast where others move slow. Matthew? Yes, move quickly to bring people individual agency. Nat? Uh, yes, it can, can mitigate and can innovate to solve and work on the KYC identity challenge to bring more refugees into the financial services sector. And Sarah? Yeah, it can help smooth out the stresses where big corporations might be a bit scared to go in and help due to the Murky waters. Well, that wraps up today's discussion. I wish we'd had more time to spend on this. It's such an important issue affecting so many millions of people. Um, thank you all so much for joining me. I've learned tons, tons from all of you. Thank you so much. Where can people find out uh, more about you and your companies? Ali? Uh, go to the App Store, uh, type in Bunk, that's B-U-N-Q, and enjoy a free trial and see if it's something you like. 
Thank you. Matthew? Uh, TechFugees.com. TechFugees on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Nat? Uh, LeafGlobalFintech.com and the App Store. And uh, you can look at uh, Leaf Wallet. So feel free to download and try it out. And Sarah? Sarah will be about LinkedIn. That's where I'm at. And you can also find me, Benjamin Ensor, on LinkedIn or at 11fs.com. Thank you all very much for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast. Um, do leave us a review. Let us know what other topics you'd like to hear about in the future. Um, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media by searching for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you so much to all of the panelists today. And thank you to all of you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.